Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. It has been awesome worshiping with you this morning. Did our worship team not just do an incredible job taking us into the presence of God? I got to do that, you know, a couple times on the weekend, and it's still just uh, amazing to get to worship with you all. Hey, if you're our guest, we just want to say a big welcome to you. Uh, And our hope and our prayer, maybe even our invitation, if you will, is that if you join us every weekend here in August with a heart that says, God, I want to experience you, I want to encounter you, if you would just commit to do that for the month of August here, uh, I believe that you're going to see dramatic change in yourself and in your home and in your family. At Connection Point, we are not a church of perfect people or even religious people. We're very normal, very broken people. What we've found is that when we come to Jesus with honesty and humility, he changes us, he helps us, he heals us. So you're sitting in a room uh, full of people where our marriages would have fallen apart if not for Jesus, where uh, our parenting relationships, a lot of times we don't know how to do it, but we keep bringing our kids here, we keep looking to the word of God, and then he shows us what to do. And he does things in our kids and in ourselves that we can't do Uh, for ourselves apart from him. Well, question, what would your dream home look like? And I don't even mean in a spiritual sense right now. I just mean like earthly sense. Would your dream home look like this? Uh, Are you into like the craftsman style home with all the woodwork? Or uh, would your dream home maybe look a little more like this, kind of like the modern, traditional? What does your dream home look like? Uh, Homes require a lot of work, and even if someone were to give you a dream home today, over the next years, you'd have lots of work to do. My wife Mel and I, we were down in Nashville a week and a half ago with our kids. We had rented an Airbnb down there, and we were visiting some relatives, and our relatives have a four-year-old house, and it's beautiful. Uh, Our house is about 30 years old, and I have no complaints about our house, but their house, everything is new. And uh, we have this one kind of back and forth in our marriage. It is the shower in our master bedroom. Uh, see, we're on a well, and over the years, this is still the like original fiberglass shower. Over the years, the well water has turned the white fiberglass into a, a nice, vibrant orange. <laughs> I call it burnt orange. Um, I think I've seen it in the Martha Stewart catalog. But that was not the original color of the shower. And so, you know, we've had back and forth about, like, when are we ever going to redo that shower? Well, we're visiting these friends, and they've got this beautiful new home. And in their master bedroom shower, it's all custom tile. And on the ground is what they call penny tiles, which are those small tiles. And it's just gorgeous. And it turns out the mortar between the tiles, there was cracks, and the water was getting beneath the tile. And they called in an expert, and it's going to cost thousands of dollars for them to redo their shower. And so I said to my wife, this is why, this is why we use the burnt orange fiberglass old faithful. You know, she doesn't leak. Well, as the irony of life would have it, we got home and our middle schooler also uses that shower. And there's something else about the shower as well. The shower doors uh, tend to come off of the slide. And when they do, it's always on the inside of the shower. So it's always a little bit of a like, you know, Will I sever a toe today? Will I not sever a toe today? You know, it, it keeps, like, keeps us on our toes. keeps life exciting. So, so our middle school had been in there, and then, uh, then I got in there, and I'm moving the shower head, and I kid you not, the pipe that connects the shower head came out of the wall, and uh, water's spraying everywhere. We were able to turn the shower off, and it stopped, but it reminded me of this, these scenes from a movie called Money Pit. If you've never seen it, A couple buys this house that looks beautiful, might need a little bit of work, and it turns out more work than they thought. Go ahead and take a look. Feel free to laugh along. Turn on the water. That's all? That doesn't sound good. A little care, a little imagination, and a positive attitude. What was that? Nothing, dear. 
Little problem in the kitchen. Nothing trivial. Well, the turkey's done. So is the kitchen. Actually, it's a little overdone for my taste. Let's not go there again. You don't want to tell me what happened? No, I don't. I just want to relax in a nice, lukewarm bath. What about this? I don't think that can hurt us anymore. Watch that without laughing. <laughs> that is how it is, right? Like you start a project and uh, things don't always go as planned. I bet you can relate to that feeling if you've done any home projects. Here's the question we're asking today. Where is your home in need? And before you get out a list for Lowe's or Home Depot or your spouse, I want you to think about where your home is in need because, you know, to redo a bathroom is one thing. It's another thing when you've had a fight with your spouse and you say something and you even know as you said it, like, I crossed the line, I went too far. And it's been a day or two and that, that relationship just isn't back to what it was. Uh, it's one thing to repaint a room or even repaint the whole outside of the house. It's another thing when uh, your child is dealing with anxiety and you're like, I can get them new clothes, I can do all these other things, but I cannot reach in there and heal them from their anxiety that they're feeling. There's so many things in our home that we really can't fix in our own strength. I wonder what's missing from your dream home. You could have the, the perfect HGTV dream home and be missing joy, be missing peace. I just wonder, would you be honest, just you and God for a moment, what is it that's missing in your home right now? Have you lost the joy? Maybe you're in need of rest. It's just like we're just running from one thing to another, and there's just, there's no rest. Uh, do you need provision? Do you need contentment? Just a sense of like, we have enough. We're good. We're content with what we have. I think we see it living, you know, a middle-class life in the suburbs that, that people can get new shiny stuff and be getting new toys for their kids. And it's like kids get the new thing and they play with it for maybe 10 minutes and then they get back on their devices and then a couple hours go by and it's like nothing ever even changed. Like there's not even a, a, a raise of the level of contentment as we add on more and more stuff. What's missing from your home? Is your home in conflict or in peace? Does it have enough or not enough? Is your home a place where everyone's embraced or where people are feeling rejected? We have dreams for our homes, but there are missing pieces that we're powerless to fix. I know Mel and I, we've had seasons in our marriage where if it wasn't for Jesus, we just, we wouldn't have made it through because our personalities and our backgrounds were so different. I've had times as a dad, those of you who attend here regularly know of said this, especially um, when uh, our kids were, it was about five or six years ago, there was a lot of times I would just go out in the driveway at night, and I would just put out a lawn chair, and I'd look up at the stars, and I'd just be like, Lord, I have no idea how to raise these kids. Uh, you can have all the material things in the world and be missing relational peace, be missing contentment. We can vacuum and clean, but sometimes we find ourselves powerless to repair what's broken in our relationships. If I could tell you today uh, how to experience God where your dream home is missing something. If I could tell you for whatever it is that you're missing, uh, how to leave here today knowing that God will come into that area, would you want to know how? And uh, something you should know if you're visiting with us is that what we do every weekend here at Connection Point is we open up our hearts to the real struggles of life that all of us have things like this in our lives. And then what we do is we always look to the word of God. You see, the Bible is like a love letter that your creator wrote to you, and he provides answers to these questions. 
So I want to take you today into a true story happened during Jesus' life. It's the story of Jesus and a home that was in need. And as we go through this story, I I just would invite you to open your heart and just ask God right now. Say, God, would you speak to me? Uh, Whether you're here, maybe this is your first time in church, or maybe you've been in church for 30 years, the very Spirit of God wants to speak to you today. He wants to minister to you. He wants to help you wherever you're lacking in life. And if you'll pray that, I know God's going to speak to you as we look at this story in Luke chapter 8. It starts with a desperate dad. I love that phrase, a desperate dad, because that's been me so many times. I mean, I'll be honest, I hate changing diapers. The day that I dragged the diaper genie out to the trash and recycling because our youngest was out of diapers, I mean, that's got to be one of the best days of my life. So glad to be done with diapers. If you're still dealing with diapers, hang in there. It gets better. They, they get older, and it, it'll get better. This story starts with a desperate dad. If you're a dad, you know what it feels like to be desperate. It's just part of the deal. It goes with it. This desperate dad, his name is Jairus. And he actually works at the Jewish version of a church at this time. And in the synagogue, there was actually great debate at this time about Jesus. Is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus the one true God who came down to uh, rescue humanity from its sin, to give us eternal life, to reconnect us back to God? And there was great debate about that. Well, J. Iris, he has a crisis at home, and we're going to see it's a life or death crisis. And he's so desperate that even though a lot of the people he worked with, they didn't believe in Jesus, he was like, I'm going to Jesus anyway. And there's a big crowd, and he pushes his way through the crowd. He falls at Jesus' feet, and he starts pleading with him, Jesus... Would you come to my house? And I just want to encourage you this morning as a parent to be intentional like this and say, Jesus, where things are broken in my house, where there's things I can't fix, I want you, Jesus, to come to my house. Well, his crisis is this, verse 42, he has a daughter in need. You see, his only daughter, a girl of about 12 years old, was dying. And as I've studied this passage and as I've prayed for you this week, uh, it's been emotional for me just this sentence because I have an 11-year-old and we as a movement, we've got probably a couple hundred 11 and 12-year-olds. And because I have an 11-year-old, I know a lot of their faces, boys and girls, young men and young women. And as I've prayed over this passage and I've prayed for our families and I've thought about the needs in our homes, it's been emotional for me to just think, what must it have felt like to be this dad with a 12-year-old daughter who's laying at home and she's dying. And there's nothing the doctors can do. There's no hospital that they can go to. The only doctors in the area have already come and visited, and they've said there's nothing that we can do. And he has no hope other than maybe Jesus, who I've heard can do miracles, who I've heard has done miracles for other people. Maybe if he comes to my house, he can fix this. And I just want to encourage you, whether it's in your marriage or in the heart of your 11 or 12-year-old or your 18-year-old or your 42-year-old, when there's brokenness that you can't heal, to come to Jesus like this dad and to say, Jesus, would you come to my house and do what no one else can do? Well, the passage continues. It says, as Jesus was on his way. In other words, when this guy breaks through the crowd, he says, Jesus, will you come to my house? My daughter's dying. Jesus responds and says, yes. And you need to know that today. When you reach out to God and say, I need your help in my home or in my life, his response is to move toward you. Scripture says, if you seek me, you will find me if you search with all your heart. And I'm here to tell you today, if you will search for God, If you will pray prayers of faith to God, you will find God. He moves toward you when you move toward him. So Jesus starts with this dad who's, who's, you know, in a crisis, but the crowds are crushing in around him. See, Jesus had become kind of famous at this time. Word had traveled in these word of mouth ancient communities that this Jesus who claims to be Messiah, someone says, you know, uh, my cousin was blind And Jesus put some mud in his eyes and said something, and now my cousin can see. And then you'd hear from someone else, oh, I know so-and-so, he was paralyzed. And then he saw Jesus, and now he can walk. I mean, I saw him when he was paralyzed. I've seen him now. So this is spreading all around, and these crowds are just crushing 
in on Jesus. Well, as they're trying to make their way through this crowd, there's an interruption. You see, a woman who also needed healing, she has elbowed her way through the crowd to try to get healing. She's had a medical issue that has gone on for more than 10 years. And it's a medical issue that in that culture would have kind of, uh, she would have been estranged. Uh, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean by that culture. A great injustice, but she would have been uh, banned from a lot of the religious festivals and from a lot of the family reunions. This is a woman who's dealing with a physical sickness, but all sorts of social and emotional pain as a result of it. And it's really interesting how this story happens because the dad comes to Jesus. Jesus is eventually going to get to the house, but in the middle, there's this interruption. And I, I have to think that for some of you here today, you might be thinking, well, John, this is a neat story about a family in crisis, but John, I don't think you understand. Our crisis has been going on for more than 10 years. Our crisis is not like just one little thing and we got a miracle and it got better. What does God say to us today? And I love it. This woman, she pushes through the crowd because no one else could heal her. And at the end of her interaction with Jesus, in verse 48, he says this, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This really beautiful, it's almost a literary structure, but this is the heart of God. That what seemed like an interruption to this dad was for Jesus a moment where he points out, hey, do you feel estranged? Do you feel cast out? If you're here and we're talking about families and homes and you're like, John, my home is empty. My home is broken beyond repair. What does God say to you today? What's his heart? As he's on his way to heal a 12-year-old daughter, here's a middle-aged woman who's been sick for years and he calls her his daughter. He wants you to know the most you could ever love a child or a grandchild. That's how he feels about you. And when we love our kids and we're like, God, would you do in their hearts what I can't do? He loves them even more than we do. And he loves you that way. Well, as Jesus is healing this woman and having this interaction, the story takes a hopeless turn. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone from Jairus's house fights through the crowd and hears the message, Jairus your daughter's dead. I don't even want to say, can you imagine hearing those words? Can you just think of the emotions that must have come over this dad at this time? He's tried everything he can, and now there's this guy who claims to be Messiah, and he fights through the crowd, and the guy says, yeah, I'll come, and they're on their way to the house, and then there's this interruption, and then his buddy comes and says, uh, your daughter's dead. Don't bother don't bother Jesus. Don't bother the teacher. You see, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had healed the blind and he had done other miracles, but he had not raised anyone from the dead. And to Jairus and to his friend and to all the other people, that, just like us today, we would think that's not really a possibility. And I just wonder in your life, where is it that you had a dream for your home or for your life or for your kids or your grandkids, or a dream for your marriage, and life has happened, and don't bother seems like the only thing that's left. It's gone from really hopeless to completely hopeless. Hopeless relationships, dead dreams. It's so interesting because in this story, the situation has changed, but Jesus hasn't changed. And in our lives, the situations change. It's part of going through a world that's been broken by sin. When you're suffering, when life is difficult, God's not against you. We live in a world that's been corrupted and broken by sin. And Jesus said, even when you're called by me and you have faith in me and you follow me, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be hard times. Your situations will change. You will go through hard times, but Jesus doesn't change. He's always almighty God. He works all things together for good. He still has a plan. And when life says don't bother, you can instead look to the promises of God. 
See, right after that friend says, hey, she's dead, don't even bother, Jesus responds with a promise. I hope you know today, wherever you feel like giving up, God has a promise for you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible that you love to read, we'll give you one today. This is the Bible I preach from. It's called the Life Application Study Bible. Now, the Word of God is uh, thousands of years old. It doesn't change. But this layout of the Bible has study notes. It's like having a pastor with you. And you can look up a promise for anything you're going through. You can look up sickness, grief, divorce, anything you're going through. You can find the promise of God and you can cling to it. Because anytime life seems hopeless, God has a promise for you. And when this dad's situation turns hopeless, Jesus immediately gives him a promise. What's the promise? First of all, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, we, we say this often here that in Scripture, God never commands us to not feel afraid, but he commands us to not be overcome by fear. You see, your feelings and your will or your choices, they're two separate things. If you're a responsible person, you often do what you don't feel like doing. You wake up and go to work even when you don't feel like going to work. And God never commands you to not feel afraid or to not feel anxiety. You're human. You're going to feel afraid at times. You're going to feel anxiety. I mean, look at the last year and a half we went through. It's normal to feel all sorts of difficult emotions. But in those emotions, you choose to say, God, I might feel afraid, but I'm choosing to trust your promises. And then what does Jesus say? He says, just believe. Two words. J. Iris, you already believed that I could heal her. Now just believe that I could still raise her from the dead. Just believe. What do you need to believe? Believe that Jesus is God. Believe that Jesus can help. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. Just believe. And then Jesus says this. Here's the promise. If you will believe, she will be healed. Now, we have to be careful with a passage like this. This isn't always the case in this life. I've had very godly friends who've had sickness, and they've just believed, and their healing has come as they've entered into heaven, where they get a glorified body that will never be sick again. The point of this story and Jesus' public ministry was to give us visual stories that teach us spiritual principles. Now, yes, we've seen God do miracles here where people had cancer, and we believed, and we prayed, and they got healed. But the deeper meaning is this. Even if God heals your cancer, you have a life expectancy of 70 to 90 years. Even if God heals a sickness, eventually our bodies are going to die because we're in a world that's broken by sin. So the deeper belief that Jesus is talking about and that he calls us to is to believe in him for the forgiveness of our sins for eternal life. And Jairus, as the synagogue leader, he actually would have known that that was all wrapped up in there because Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, that is Almighty God who came to restore us back to God. Well, where do you need to believe today? For your home, for your spouse, for a child, maybe for an adult child, maybe for something in yourself. Maybe there's an addictive pattern in your life or something in yourself that you can't fix. And Jesus says, uh, I've come to break the chains of sin and slavery. Keep believing in me and I can set you on a different path. Well, now there's an arrival. When Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus, uh, he tells everyone else, there's a huge crowd there. I mean, you've got to imagine, this is like uh, Michael Phelps or Caleb Dressel or Simone Biles or some celebrity shows up in a small town. Everyone's out of their businesses and homes on the street. They're crowding around Jesus. Now at Jairus' home, there's another crowd because in this culture, people typically died at home And immediately the morning would begin. And all the friends and family would gather at the home. And Jesus gets there and he says, "Uh, clean out the home essentially. I don't want a paparazzi mob in the house while I go to raise this girl from the dead. Well, as Jesus is asking them to clear out the space, look at this, verse 52. All the people were wailing and mourning. And Jesus said, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. Now, in the Word of God, it describes that the way God made you, you've got a mind, you've got a body, and you've got a soul or a spirit. Your soul, your spirit, that's the invisible, intangible part of you that will live forever somewhere. It's the eternal part of you. Uh, You see, the face that you see in the mirror and your hands, uh, this is just like a tent. 
This is a temporary shell. And it is housing the real you, which is your soul, your spirit. And by the way, your real you, according to the word of God, will live forever in one of two places. There's not like 50 destinations, there's two. You're either with God in heaven because you believed in Jesus or you're separated from God in darkness. Those are the two options according to Jesus for your eternity. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when Jesus says she's asleep, what he means is this. Her spirit or soul has left her body. That's what happens to all of us when we breathe our final breath. What's great about Jesus is because he's almighty God, he can command her soul or spirit as it's on its way to heaven, hey, go back. Go back into the body. He knows he can do that. Well, look at this, a conflict. They all laugh at him. In other words, imagine all this again from the point of view of the dad. He's in crisis. It takes a hopeless turn. He gets home. His wife is probably on the ground wailing. His daughter is dead. Jesus says, she's not dead. She's asleep. Everyone starts laughing at Jesus because they know that she's dead. This was a culture where people usually died at home, and they all knew what a dead body was, and they're like, you haven't been in the house yet, Jesus. I'm glad you think you're some fancy teacher, Messiah, or whatever. That girl's dead. And they're laughing at him. You know, when I read that verse, I thought of times in my life when I was skeptical about God. Times in my life when I laughed at people who said, I believe Jesus can do a miracle. And I thank God that he has a grace that he doesn't let our disbelief or even our cocky laughter about spiritual things, it doesn't stop his love. I love this, an unstoppable love. The people laugh at Jesus and he just pushes right through and then he goes into the home and here's this lifeless body of this 12-year-old girl. Her parents are there, his closest disciples are there. He takes her by the hand and he speaks and he says, my child. You gotta remember that as a parent. Your child is God's child. He loves them as much as you do and then he says, get up. And what follows is an impossible miracle. Verse 55, her spirit returns into her body. And at once, she stood up. And then I love it, Luke, who re recorded this story, he was an ancient physician. And so he gives a lot, lot more medical detail in his gospel than the others. He's like, and then Jesus told them, you know, to give her some food. It's kind of like you're a little hungry after you die and get raised back from the dead, apparently. <laughs> What is God teaching us through this story? Among other things, here's the big idea. When you invite Jesus into your home, he will do what no one else can do. He can do for your marriage what you can't do. He can do in the hearts of your kids what you can't do. He can do if you say, John, I don't even have a home. I mean, it's just me. Guess what? There's a body of Christ, and God calls us brothers and sisters, and you have a home here. And you can experience here uh, a network of people caring for you and showing up for you uh, that you can't buy it with money. You can't find it anywhere else because we have this spirit of God within us and it knits us together. When you invite Jesus into your home, he can do what no one else can do. I mentioned this earlier that Mel and I, we've had plenty of struggles in our marriage. And we had a season years ago where, frankly, if we weren't in a place of saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, we, we would have thrown in the towel. We were like, you know, the, we were so different. And our conflict was so strong. But you know, the only thing that kept us together in that season was our character. We had both said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's in charge of my life. And he says that he's not for divorce, especially when I'm married to another follower of Jesus. And you know what? It's only because of Jesus that I'm going to stick in there and I'm going to keep working on this thing. Yeah, you can celebrate that because here's the thing. Now, like I look at where we are now, and I hope you don't ever get the impression that I, like, my family's perfect because we're not, but our marriage is in such a sweet place on like all the different dimensions of a marriage, and it's from that season where we were both done, but we said Jesus is the number one thing in our house. Here's the way it works. You get two people. Sin comes between all of us. Even when you love someone more than anyone else in the world, you wrong them and they wrong you. And sin separates you, just like sin separated us from God. You know what happens in a home or a marriage if you say Jesus is the head of our home? 
it becomes like this. You get two people who say, I don't feel it anymore. This isn't because I want to, but I choose to keep moving toward Jesus and doing what he says as a husband or as a wife. And guess what happens? Eventually, those two people, they're able to come back together through the power of Jesus. These are not empty words. I have lived this. You're sitting in a room full of people who've experienced this, and I just wonder, would you invite Jesus into your home right now? Wherever things are broken, wherever things are beyond your, your uh, repair, where things seem hopeless, will you invite Jesus into your home? I grew up in Michigan, and I love cars, uh, big car guy. And when I was in elementary and middle school, I would ride my BMX bike all throughout the town I lived in, and I would do what I still do. Whenever a garage door's open, I'm looking in to see what toys are in that garage, I'm not nosy. If you see me looking in your garage when I drive by your house, I'm just a car person, okay? So when I was a kid, I would find these guys around town who were restoring old cars. And I guess I was kind of outgoing because I would just pull my BMX bike up to their garage and I'd be like, hey, can I look at your car? I just loved looking at cars. And so these guys would invite me into their garages and then I would get to help them work on their cars. So I got to help one guy restore a Pontiac Catalina. I helped another guy restore a 32 Ford Hi, boy. Don't ask me where my parents were in any of this, by the way. <laughs> Thankfully, these were good guys, okay? So um, this 32 Ford uh, started out as a total ruin. I mean, it came from the junkyard. It was mostly just a frame and wheels. Uh, there was an engine, but the engine wasn't going to start up. This car wasn't going to go anywhere. And a restoration like this requires removing every single part from the car. Each part gets taken off, gets sandblasted, gets repainted, and then the parts are going to get put back on. Now, the same is true of your soul and your body. Because we're born into a world that's broken by sin, that's why our bodies are going to die. They're in need of restoration. But your soul and your spirit are also corrupted by sin. And the restoration starts with what I like to call the engine. God calls it your heart, okay? Your engine, your heart... That's your inner person. That restoration starts when you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So if nothing else today, most important decision for you to make is have you called out to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? God makes a promise in Romans 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. You can believe that today. You don't have to pay money. You don't have to do a bunch of good works. You are saved by grace through faith. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to have baptisms here, and you demonstrate your faith by saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's a huge party here when we get to baptize new believers. If you've never been baptized for yourself, not because your parents said so, but you chose to, then you've got to do that here in a couple weeks. And so God restores this heart, and then from now until we get to heaven, he's working on all the other parts of us. Now, here's the thing from growing up in Michigan. I know the winters here can get cold and dark, but in Michigan, it was even colder and darker and even more snow. And so anyone who was really restoring a car, they couldn't do that in their front driveway because for half of the year, this thing would be covered in snow. Now, sadly, there's a lot of people who have believed in Jesus, and it's like they've got a new motor, but the rest of this thing is rusted out and not working, but they're not going into the garage. What's the garage in my analogy? It's what you're doing right now. You gather in the house of God, and it's not that these walls are spiritual, but the body of Christ. There's something spiritual that happens when we gather with other believers, and we simply say, God, keep restoring me. Keep working on me. There's still parts of my pride that I need you to file down. There's still parts where I need you to give me new desires. There's still, Lord, for me to be a dad who after a long day at work, I show up and I want to serve my wife and kids, Lord, that is not in me. I need you to do that work in me. I need you to transform me. I need you to keep restoring me. That's why we gather here every weekend. And that's why we get excited because we're experiencing this and we'd invite you to join us in it. Well, three things for you to know about God today that we can draw out of this story. First is, did you know that God cares about your home? Uh, whether you live in an RV or you live in a mansion, apartment, or maybe you're like, I don't really like my home, God cares about your home. It's really interesting, this story of Jairus 
is one of dozens where Jesus goes into people's homes. Actually, the Greek word for home is a lot like the word Ikea. You know Ikea, the furniture store? The Greek word for home is oika. Uh, It's O-I-K-E-A in Greek. And oika appears dozens of times in the Greek text of the Gospels because Jesus went from home to home. And it's so interesting. He cares about your home. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe who made everything, he cares about the spirit in your home. He doesn't want everyone walking on eggshells and afraid of each other and unresolved tension. He cares about your home. He also cares about your dreams. I mean, Jay Iris, as a dad, he had dreams for this 12-year-old daughter, and God cared about those dreams. He cares about your dreams. God also wants to be present in your home. If you'll say, Jesus, we want you in our home, and we want you to not only be here, but be here in a transforming way. That, Lord, because you're in our home, every one of us, we're being renewed. We're becoming more like Jesus every day. You know, the home is, is the perfect discipleship environment. <laughs> because we, our worst comes out and our best comes out. And as parents and spouses, we get to applaud the good. And we get to love through and be patient and forgiving and prayerful about the not good. Third thing you need to know today from this story in Luke 8 There are needs in your heart, in your life, and in your home that only God can meet. You can win the lottery. You could have a great family that's always there for you. You could have everything this world offers. And if you don't have God in your heart and in your home, you're going to have unmet needs. But I love it that God moves toward these needs. I want to show you a story of a family in our church who had a, a daughter who's also been sick unto death, just like this story. And as they have sought Jesus here, I want you to see how God still responds to faith and how God is still alive and moving and working right now. Go ahead and take a look. Everything with her was just so, so smooth, so easy, so perfect. Oh, and when she came out, I thought it was a mop. She had all that little hair on top. And I was like, oh, so cute. And then like, you know, she came out, we cut the vocal cord and everything and wiped her off and it was just in a rose. It was her birthday that day and it was pretty cool. It was around Thanksgiving um, of 2018. She got sick, um, seemed to be just a cold. She had, I think it was so 103.7 fever. By the end of the weekend, um, come Monday, she was to the point where she was still um, just sleeping all the time. She wouldn't wake up, she wouldn't eat, drink. Um, If you'd call her name, she wouldn't look at you. Um, If she tried to stand, she would fall. So we knew, you know, something's wrong. Um, They did the MRI like right away and they found that she had a sack of infection Um, it was like under the outer layer of her brain. Um, so she had to have immediate brain surgery that night. After she had her surgery that weekend, I went to church. It was hard for me. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave Emma. But at that point, she was still asleep. Um, She was still intubated. So I felt like I needed to go. And the series that John was doing was God With Us, and that weekend it was With You in the Unexpected. So it was kind of like I saw it, and it's like, wow, like I really need to be here, because it's, you know, it was like it was written for me. The church reached out. We were talking to Nate Reeves um, about it, and he came down and talked to us, and I was told that she was having prayer from basically around the entire world. I would tell, you know, Emma's prayer warriors to please pray for her and let them know what was going on. Without all of that prayer, I just don't know what would have happened. I honestly don't, because they um, were not expecting her to make it. So at that point, we thought for sure that that was it. And it was just a moment of, you know, how much longer she had. I felt helpless at a point. 
But at the same time, that confidence that she was going to be okay no matter what the outcome was going to be. They said we wouldn't know for sure everything that happened from the strokes until, um, you know, they showed, she showed us what she could and couldn't do. And so it was basically a waiting game at that point to see what was gonna happen. You know, we were never alone at that hospital unless we just didn't want somebody to be there. There was, the waiting room was always full of people. It's like the church doesn't just call just to ask what's going on and then do a prayer. Like, they actually care. It was amazing because the people around us showed nothing but love, and because of that, that made me a stronger dad. That only showed you who, who really cares about you. At first, she couldn't move any part of her right side of her body. Um, she didn't have any facial expressions. She got a helmet since she still had her skull piece out and it was so big on her. <laughs> she was so little and she had this big helmet on. And then eventually she started relearning to walk when we were in the rehab unit. Everybody was so shocked how well she was doing. It was, it was amazing because from a point she couldn't move and now she wants to move and do everything. She had a little limp going on, but it's the cutest little limp you'll ever see. I think Emma's future is very bright. <laughs> she goes to school, she rides the bus, and she has friends everywhere she goes. And I just think that she keeps that strength and attitude that she has. She's just gonna go wherever she wants to go. Have a connection point in our corner was amazing. She loves going to church and saying hi to everybody. And so many people know her by name. So it's just, you feel at home. And I think going through what we went through brought us even closer to God than we were before because I don't know, I just, I feel like without him, she wouldn't be here. She wouldn't be here today. Praise God for that beautiful little girl. He's a God who still hears prayers and answers prayers. Alyssa and Jamal, I hope you guys know we love you guys so much. We're so proud of you guys for continuing to choose God and seek him on uh, those hard weekends and a hard season, but you kept making him number one in your home. And uh, church family, I'm so proud of you guys. Um, uh, you know, some pastors maybe swell with pride about the number of people or this or that. You know what I swell with healthy pride about? How much you guys love each other and how much you guys take care of each other. That's uh, what drew me to this particular movement of Jesus followers. Uh, and I could not be more proud of you guys for loving each other. And, you know, if you're here and you're like, well, our kids are healthy and we're doing pretty well. Uh, scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. And it's in those times of blessing when things are going well that we keep serving and we keep giving and we show up for the people who are going through the cancer treatments or through the hospital visits. And then it comes back around when we're the one with a child in the hospital or we're the one going through something that seems unthinkable. There are things that money can't buy that you get when you trust in Jesus. And of course, eternal life is the biggest one, forgiveness of sin. But in this life, you can't buy people who aren't your flesh and blood showing up in a waiting room for you at a hospital, putting an arm around you and crying with you. That's what happens when you say, I'm not just gonna go to church, I'm gonna get involved, I'm gonna be part of the body of Christ. You can't buy that. You can't buy people showing up at your home with a meal saying, hey, here's some food, but more than food, do you want to sit and talk? Do you want, you know, what, what can we get for you? Do you just want to be together? Do you want to laugh? Do you want to cry? We are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And I just want to encourage you today, if you're here and you're hurting, reach out to the body 
There's an incredible body of Christ here. This dad in the story we read, Jairus, he went to Jesus. And if you're like, how do I go to Jesus today? It's here because Jesus calls this the body of Christ. That's why we have pastors up front afterwards in our connection corner at the front doors with the blue t-shirts every weekend, anytime you come to us and you let us know. We've got a whole staff of care pastors, then we've got thousands of care ministers, it's you guys, as we minister for each other. Another amazing thing about the body of Christ is that it's a family. And if you're listening to this series and you're like, John, I don't know, this welcome home thing might be too much for me because... I'm an empty nester, or I'm a widow, or I'm single, and my house is just empty. I can't encourage you enough. You have a family here. You have a house here. Alyssa and Jamal have experienced Jesus in their heartbreak and in their home, and now in the healing of their daughter because they've gone to him. You could summarize it with these three simple steps that you can take today. Go to Jesus. I mean, it's that simple. Where your life is broken, where your home is broken, call out to him today. Say, Jesus, I want your help. And by the way, you're, you've done that in the fact that you're here. You pat yourself on the back, okay? Keep coming to Jesus each weekend here. And then believe in him. Remember that what Jesus said after the dad comes to Jesus? He says, don't be afraid. Believe in me. I can do this. I can do this. Keep believing in me, and whether you're believing today for the very first time, that salvation belief where you say, Jesus, be my savior, be the Lord of my life, that's like the start of an Olympic race, and then you're going to be running a race of faith until you get home to heaven, and maybe you're a new believer today, or maybe you've been on the race, and you just need a reminder today, keep believing in Jesus, not only for your salvation, but also for your peace, for your contentment, for your identity, for your purpose. Believe in Jesus today. And then third, show your faith with your feet. You know, Jesus responded to Jairus, not because Jairus was sitting at his house praying, but Jairus said, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to march to Jesus, and I'm going to say, I need you in my house. How can you do that? Well, you can march yourself here every weekend. As a parent, you can be intentional with your kids and say, "Uh, as long as my kids are under my roof, I'm going to have them at church with me each weekend because they need Jesus in their hearts. Uh, You can join my family. We've made uh, a commitment of sorts, a pledge that is this. Unless we're sick or out of town, we're going to be in the house of God because we're showing our faith with our feet. And if we are sick or out of town, we're going to join our thousands of people online all around the country and further out in central Indiana and those who can't be here for health reasons. We're going to be gathered with the people of God every weekend, and whenever we can be there physically, we will. So I don't usually leave you with a question, but I'm just going to leave you with this question this week. What if Jesus is what you've been missing? What if in all the busyness, In all the striving, what if Jesus is what you've been missing? What if he's that foundation that you've lacked? Or maybe you're even here and you're like, John, I'm a believer. I've done lots of Bible studies. I serve. I mean, I'm all in. But what if Jesus on the rank of priorities has gotten kind of pushed down lower? And this weekend, he's reminding us, put him back up in that number one position. What if Jesus is what you've been missing? Would you stand? I want to just pray over you here. Father, Lord, I need you every day. We need you every day. We need you every hour, every minute, every second. Lord, we need you in the hearts of our young people as a tribe and a movement, Lord, as they grow up in this divided and turbulent world. God, there's things in their heart that only you can do. We just pray over the hearts of all our young people, Lord, that that you'd capture their hearts, that they would not only believe in you for salvation, but that they would find their identity in you, their security in you, their purpose in you. And Lord, just as much as Jairus loved his daughter, we love our kids, but you remind us in this story, we are your sons and daughters. And where our lives are broken, where our homes are divided, where we need help, you love us and you care. And whether it's a fresh emergency or it's more than 10 years old, you see it. You promise to work all things together for good. And so, Jesus, we just want to put you up in that first place position in our lives. Lord, right now I want to 
help anyone who has never known for sure that their sins are forgiven, that their name is written in the registry of heaven, that, that right now from the heart they would just pray out these simple words, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again. I confess that I've sinned and I've made mistakes. I turn away from those and I ask you through your work on the cross, would you forgive my sins? Would you adopt me into the family of God? Lord, for those new believers today, I pray that we'd get to baptize them in a couple weeks and have a huge celebration. Lord, for those of us who've known you, but you're just stirring us today to put you back in first place, we respond with faith. Lord, I pray for every person watching this online or in the chapel or in this room that they will seek you every weekend here in August. And as we seek you, may we find you and experience you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.